Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Welcome to OIC. We want to welcome all those that are joining us live online right now, whether you're in Acadiana, around the country, even around the world. We thank you for tuning in this morning. I don't know about you. I am excited about Easter. And in the church world, listen to me, okay? It is the Super Bowl of all days. I'll just say that right now. Why? Because everybody comes out that day. And it's in, like Pastor David said, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of where. And so we're not trying to get them to OSC, but I'm telling you right now, we want you to use that card, use Josh McDowell as an invite. Now, let me, let me say something. Let me ask a question first. How many of you were invited by somebody to Our Savior's Church before? You just ever before, you were invited. You didn't just come. Okay, a lot of you in here. And if I asked the same question, how many of you, your lives were changed right here, you probably would raise your hand. Now, just think about that power of an invite. Listen, we're not looking to pack this place just to go, hey, look at us. We look so great. That's not what this is about. This is about allowing people to experience a real God who loves them in a real way, y'all. That's all we want. And if you have loved ones, neighbors, I mean, coworkers, bosses that don't know Jesus or even doubt about it, or doesn't, they don't have to be heady or super spiritual. Just believe that the Holy Spirit's gonna show up and watch what happens when they say yes, because God's going to open up a whole new door. That is what we are believing, and you have multiple opportunities to do that. So don't forget Easter Sunday. Use those invite cards. Invite your friends, your family, everyone, because we want to see many people come to know Jesus. Well, how many of you enjoyed Pastor Jacob yesterday when he spoke, or excuse me, last week when he spoke about Judas? How many really enjoyed that? I'm still talking about that message. I know spiritual renewal happened, but I'm telling you right now. It was, I tell Pastor Jacob almost every time, that was probably my favorite message. No, no, that one was my favorite message. No, And I end up going back and forth. But it's amazing that he was speaking about Judas. And it's awesome because even though we all know about Jesus and we know the name of Judas, I would probably guarantee that no one in here is named after Judas, right? That would be kind of mean as parents. Hey, if you are named Judas, that's no, no offense to you, Okay. But it's just not something we want to remember, right? It's not something that people are, are proud with. It's one of the only disciples that no one names their child after. We have a lot of Andrews and Phillips, maybe Johns, James. We have, we have a lot of those, but we don't have any Judases. But I think we all know someone today, and I get to speak on this name today, is every one of us knows someone named after this apostle, probably the, the greatest apostle there is, and that's Peter. It's Peter. And I love that Pastor Jacob did the least. In Judas, I get to do the greatest in Peter. And we get to march to the cross this morning. Listen to me. We get to march to the cross this morning in our series, and we get to go from the garden where there was turmoil and the oil press to last week we spoke about the betrayal and Judas to this week we get to speak about Peter and what he did. Because Peter was not just a disciple, he was the disciple. Let me share with you just a few facts about Peter. In all the four Gospels, there's a list of the disciples. In order matters, right? It's like when you're ranking out your kids, like that matters. 
And for Peter, and for Peter, he was always the first on all four lists in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. His name is mentioned first. No disciple speaks so much or as often as than Peter. No other disciple corrected or contradicted Jesus more than Peter. However, no disciple was corrected and rebuked more than Peter. No other disciple more openly confessed Jesus as Savior. No other disciple received more words of affirmation and reproval from Jesus than Peter. And in fact, no other disciple gets their name changed except for Peter. He went from Simon to Peter, which means rock. And so he walked on water. Listen, he helped feed 5,000. He cast out demons, helped perform miracles, confessed Jesus as Savior, and proclaimed his absolute loyalty and allegiance to Jesus. But this morning, I'm not here to talk about his highlights. I'm here to talk about his lowest point. How many of you are glad that when you were growing up, there was no social media or camera phones around? Come on. Come on, my BC people. Wave your hands at me. BC means before Christ. That's your life before Christ. Right? You're going, please, thank you. Now your kids don't really know what you did, right? But nowadays, social media just follows you around everywhere. Well, Peter didn't have that luxury. Though there weren't camera phones, there was somebody writing it down, and I don't know about you, I would not want a book written about me that documented all my good choices, but yet all my bad and poor decisions as well. And we get this when we come to Peter, because it's his lowest point. When Jesus needed him the most in his march to the cross, Peter, listen to me, denied him the greatest. That's not something that I would want to be remembered for. And though we know a lot about Peter and we know that's not what he's remembered for, listen, this is one of his lowest points, if not his lowest point. It's a denial. So my question I want to pose for us this morning, and we're going to read some scripture, break it down, is this. How did Peter go from the greatest disciple to denying Jesus? And more importantly, does that happen to us? Well, let's read what happens in Mark chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we'll have it up on the screen. No big deal. We're going to start in verse 53 and read some verses. But I really want to paint a picture for you of what was happening. Remember, we went from the garden to the betrayal. Now Jesus is led away and we're marching to the cross. Now we come to the denial. Here's what it is. Mark chapter 14, verse 53. It says, those who arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, to a meeting where the religious scholars and Jewish leaders were assembled. Now Peter had followed from a distance all the way to the chief priest's courtyard, and he sat with the guards and was warming himself by the fire. I want you to remember that when we come back. We're going to come back to that. And after this verse, we're going to skip down a few verses, but really it goes on to say that Jesus was in front of these religious leaders and was spit on and hit, and then they ended up just going, you don't know what you're talking about. You're blaspheming God. Let's send him away. And so we kind of cut in right now to where Peter is at through all of these things in verse 66. In Mark chapter 14, he says this. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting below in the courtyard when a girl, a servant of the high priest, came near the fire. When she saw Peter there warming himself, she said to him, I recognize you. You were the Nazarene. You were with the Nazarene Jesus. But Peter denied, saying, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Then he went out of the gateway of the courtyard and the rooster crowed. And when the servant girl noticed him, she said to all the bystanders, I know this man is one of the followers. And once again, Peter denied it. 
A short time later, the bystander said to him, you must be one of them. You're a Galilean like he is for your accent proves it. Verse 71, Peter cursed. He cursed, y'all. Peter wasn't always good. (laughs) Peter cursed and said, I tell you, I don't know this man you're talking about. At that same moment, Peter spoke those words and the sound of the rooster crowing pierced the night for the second time. And Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken to him earlier. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And this is great. What a great last verse. With his heart shattered, Peter broke down and sobbed with bitter tears. Peter goes from standing for Jesus with a sword in front of Judas saying, no, you're not gonna take my master to all of a sudden denying that he even knew Jesus. What happened? What happened between allegiance and abandonment that caused him to do that? What happened that caused him to say, I'm gonna fight for you, Jesus. I will die for you. I will never disown you to then not disowning him once, twice, but three separate times. He doesn't even know Jesus. Now, I think we can look in our lives and I think we can really gain a better understanding of where we are at. Because many of us wanna say these these words. You wanna say, well, I'm not Peter and I would never do that if I was in his shoes. Come on, y'all, Really? Okay, I was blessed to play in the NFL. Let me just say this. And I, I don't like watching football with going to restaurants or anything else and watching NFL because I hear guys in the corner going, oh, I could have made that catch. And I want to look over and go, really? You're 5'8", 265. You are not jumping that high. And we sit back and we go, well, that was Peter. If I was him, I would have stood up for Jesus. We all know we would have... We wouldn't even made it to the courtyard. We would have never made it there. But with Peter, he went from allegiance to abandonment. And can I just share with you how it happened? Two words that I believe are the main culprit for what happened is unmet expectations. I'm gonna say that again. Unmet expectations. What does that mean, Pastor Chris? It's really what, what it means is you had an expectation of what would happen, how marriage would be, how the job would go. You had an expectation of what school would be like or that friendship would, or you came to church and you became a Christian and you go, I had an expectation of what it meant to be a believer. But what actually happened wasn't what you expected. So there's a gap, listen to me, there's a gap between what actually happened and what you expected called the gap of disappointment. It's a giant gap. It's the gap, not the clothing store, okay? But the gap of disappointment. And Peter, listen to me, Peter, if you know Jewish culture, they believed that the Messiah was gonna come, take them out of Roman rule and allow them to be free again. So what Peter was expecting wasn't a crucified Jesus. He was expecting a militant Jesus. He was expecting someone to come up and go, hey, I got this. You don't have to work for them anymore. They're going to work for you. Just like we led you out of Egypt, we're leading you out of this place. I'm going to be the Savior. And so he's going, wait, what's happening right now? He's going, I expected the Savior that's, that's coming and he's gonna take over, but yet I get this Jesus who's being led to the cross. This gap of disappointment, listen to me right now, is scary. 
Because here's the pathway of unmet expectations. It starts with this. It starts with disillusionment. What is that, Pastor Chris? It's a discovery that it's not as good as you thought it was going to be. It's those couples that get married and go, this is a lot harder than we thought. (laughs) Okay, don't look at your spouse, all right? It's that gap when you have the job and you go, and there's a disillusionment to go, this is gonna be the greatest job. And, and you look over and you go, this is terrible. But it goes from disillusionment to then discouragement where you lose all hope, all confidence. You begin to think things will never get better. And from that discouragement, you go into doubt where everything becomes shaky and uncertain, where you once were certain about This thing, now you're on shifting sand. Now you're saying things like, am I really born again? Since I did these things, am I really a believer? Does God really care about me? Would he allow me to go through this pain and this turmoil? You begin doubting. Everything that was once so secure has become insecure. And after doubt, well, then it just funnels right into denial which is this, denial is simply knowing what is true yet confessing a lie. It's confessing a lie. It's saying something like, God doesn't wanna use someone like me anymore. You know it's not true, but yet you say it anyway. And from my understanding of where most people are, especially in this culture, listen to me, it's not that they don't believe in God. It's just they don't believe that God can do it for them. It's not that they don't believe that God can do a miracle in their life. They just don't believe that he would do a miracle for them. And there are so many people that go from fighting to denying. I see often, and Pastor David, myself, Pastor Randy, in marriage couples, and it's so frustrating as a pastor, as you see a spouse fighting for their marriage and fighting for their marriage, and then all of a sudden you feel like they're getting to the end where there's about to be breakthrough, and what happens? They call it quits. And you just wanna go, what are you doing? Because they begin denying what God is going to do. Once again, it's not that they don't believe God can restore their marriage. They just don't believe that God wants to use them to restore it. And they begin going from a fighter to a denier. It's what Peter went through. You see, you believe God can do it. You just don't wanna believe that God can do it for you. You see, that's what denial is. None of us are ever gonna be asked like Peter where you could be tortured or hurt. Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? It'll be subtle ways of denial. What do you mean, Pastor Chris? Here's what denial is. It's knowing you were supposed to text that friend, the Holy Spirit put put him on your heart, and you didn't do it. It's knowing you were supposed to come to church when the enemy wants to scare you away, and you go, I'm just so tired. I'm just gonna blame it on daylight savings time. (laughs) Right, think about it for a second. You go from a fighter to a denier just like that because the gap of disappointment was too big for you to cross. It was too big for you to cross. We begin thinking, listen to this, there's no way my loved one will ever be born again. I remember that moment with my father. My father was a was a drug addict, alcoholic, you could name it, he did it, left me when I was two. 
And when I was born again at age 18, every single day I prayed for my father that he would come to know Jesus in the most amazing way because I believed if he knew what I knew and saw Jesus the way that I saw Jesus, that everything in his life would be broken, that he would have purpose and meaning in his life. And I got to share Jesus in college with him on a phone call one time when he called me. And I'll never forget, listen to me, the disappointment. Because I was expecting him to fall flat on his face and go, oh, I'm a sinner. And I'm like, oh, yeah, thank Jesus. You know, and do all the holy stuff. And he just was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. And hung up the phone. And what was frustrating about it is I felt like I failed. There was a disappointment that what I expected didn't happen. And I wanted to deny it, just give up on it so badly. The fighter in the fighter that I was once fighting for wanted, wanted to become such a denier. And I'm so thankful that God doesn't rely, listen to me, on my efforts or my strength because he saved my father and he is now born again, walking with the Lord. And that's a happy ending and we all can go on with our lives. But many times it doesn't work like that and it didn't work like that for Peter. Because the trauma that Peter experienced with unmet expectations, listen to me, is that he ended up causing him to deny the very person that he followed for three and a half years. The person he gave up his livelihood and his life for. The person that he cut off somebody's ear for. The person that he saw still the waves in the sea. He denied him at the time he needed him the most. What did Peter's denial cause him to do? I want to go through four quick things, and then we're going to close this morning. You can write these down. Number one, what caused him? Caused, what, what did Peter's denial cause him to do? Number one, it caused him to follow at a distance. We read in the text in verse 54 of Mark 14, we see that, that Peter, it says that Peter, when Jesus was let off, it said that he followed Jesus at a distance. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember when the first distance came between you and God? When you once were so, so gung-ho about Jesus or about church, right? It could have been the new year. It could have been when, when, man, you had this financial upswing and you're going, yes, I'm, God, I said I was gonna come to church every week. Well, I'm going. And all of a sudden it's like, ooh, you know. Or I'm gonna start, you know, not honking at people and cutting people off anymore. And that doesn't happen on the road. But do you remember that first time when the distance came between you and God? Maybe it was when you clicked on that site that you know you shouldn't have clicked on. Maybe it was when you went on Facebook and you looked up that high school girlfriend when your wife wasn't looking. Maybe it was that time that you began to justify why you didn't want to read your Bible or why you didn't want to pray or why you didn't want to spend time with spiritual family and with your small group, whatever it is. But there was some sort of separation, something that has come between you and your relationship with Jesus, something that has distracted you, that has caused you to follow, air quotes, but at a distance. Having five young kids, you learn a lot about their attention spans in this next generation. It is tiny. Can I just be honest? It is tiny. But what's even crazier is the multitasking that they cannot do as little kids. 
And I have five beautiful kids that are ages nine to two. Y'all continue to pray for me and my wife daily. Um, and and it's, it's amazing. And I remember the other day is that um, they cannot multitask when it, when it comes to eating and walking. I don't know if that is a thing or, but they just can't. And the other day I remember walking and they were having like a snack as kids always do. They're always snacking. It's never meals. It's always snack. And so they end up having a snack and I'm walking with them, giving them a snack. Okay, come on, follow me. And I began walking and I felt like they were with me. And all of a sudden there's this like, I feel all of a sudden this wind that now I'm by myself as I'm walking. And I look back at them and there's this gap between us. There's this distance. And though they're following, they're walking slowly because they've been distracted by eating. They're so distracted, they can't look at me and they can't follow me while they're eating. They're following me, but they're following at a distance. And what I realized very quickly was I didn't change my pace, they changed. Look at me, rest assured, if there's distance between you and God, God didn't create it. You did. I did. We want to go, well, if, if, if this pastor hadn't preached on this, or if, if I could just get a ride, or if I could just, and we begin to kind of blame it on other people. and do, No, 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 no. God does not change. It is not in his nature. His word says, I am always with you and I'm always for you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. If we believe that the Holy Scripture is absolutely 100% true, then we don't believe that's fluff. Then we have to believe that if there is distance, I just don't feel God right now, that it's not him, it's us. That is a hard reality for us to accept because we want to say, well, God, you control this, but he's going, no, you're just distracted by everything else. You're trying to eat and follow at the same time, and he's going, no, 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 no. Men cannot live on bread alone, but only by the word of God. I want you to follow me. You see, he doesn't change. And think about it for a second. This man, Peter, he followed, Peter followed this man for three years, it's he's the, Jesus is the one who found him fishing and said, come follow me, I'm gonna teach you to be a fisher of men. He's the one who saw more in Peter than Peter saw in himself. He's the one who believed in him, loved him, spoke amazing things after him. But now when, P, when Jesus needed him the most, Peter was just following from afar? All of a sudden, he's following from afar. It's almost like, like, like a teenager and their parents. Like All of a sudden, they're like, oh, I love you, mom. I love you, dad. And then their, ki- their friends are around. They're like, whatever. I don't even care about it anymore. You know? And they become all cool. It's like all of a sudden, when things got real, Peter began to go like, I'm just going to follow you at a distance. Peter was in the inner circle. He was as close to Jesus as humanly possible. And the thing about it is, listen to me, if you read the Bible, you might go, oh man, this is, this is getting me better for life. This is getting me better for my job, my parenting, my leadership. Yes, yes and amen. All of those things are wonderful. But listen to me, if Jesus modeled anything, it wasn't rules, regulations. It wasn't how to live a good life or have good things. It wasn't prosperity. Listen to me. What Jesus modeled the most was proximity to the Father. I'm going to say that again. He modeled how to be one with the Father. John 14, Jesus said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He, he, he said this, never once have I been away from my Father. 
So what was this? We try to get out of Jesus, like, how do I do miracles? Okay, how do I talk like him? Turn the other cheek. How do I do? No, 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 no. Everything about following Jesus is all about the proximity and the oneness between him and the Father. It's relationship-based at its core. And 2,000 years later, Jesus still has the same invitation. It has not changed. And that is get close. Follow me because I'm getting close to the Father. And if you're close to me, you're going to get close to God. It's the glory of it all. I, I, I love how the author... Lee Camp says it this. He says this, one of my favorite quotes. He says, following Jesus is about proximity, nothing else. Jesus always asked his disciples to follow him, not merely accept him, not merely believe in him, come on, not merely worship him, but to follow him. Because the enemy wants nothing more than for you to follow Jesus just at a distance. And denial will always cause distance. The second thing is this. He didn't just follow from afar. But Peter warmed himself by the wrong fire. Okay. Peter warmed himself by the wrong fire. The text says that he just sat with the guards and he warmed himself by the fire. <laughs> Talk about a fallout. I, I laughed to get to stop from getting from angry at Peter in this moment because we can just read over it and it's, and it's like, okay, I get it. But the people, listen to this, think about this for a second. The people that Peter was just fighting with to not take Jesus is the same people that he's now sitting with going, hey guys, what was on ESPN today? The saints win today? No, are we good? I mean, think about it for a second. It just doesn't make any sense. Do you see how quickly that falling away actually happened? Because denial will pull you into a place that you never wanted to be. And when spiritual complacency kicks in, where we just go like, okay, I'm following from afar, and I'm gonna, you find yourself, listen to me, sitting with people that you never wanted to sit with, listen to me, by a fire you never wanted to be around. That you never wanted to be around. I, I, I had so many great coaches and mentors in my life that it's not... I didn't do anything to get to this spot or even to the NFL. I'm telling you, it is by the grace of God and the great people that he surrounds us with. And I remember uh, a handful of coaches that cared more about my spiritual well-being and my character than my football physicalness. I'm telling you right now, there are very few. But I remember one in high school before I became a Christian, and he would trick us. And I say trick us in a good way, okay? He would trick us that he would invite us over, and we would work out at his house. And, and there was a bunch of us doing it. He was a great coach. But in order to do that, you had to sit and listen to a devotional beforehand, right? Because he said, if I'm going to build your body, I'm going to build you spiritually first. That's what he would say. And so he would come in, and I'm just like, this is boring. Let's get to running and working out. Let's get to pumping iron for, you know. And I would want to get to it real quick. And on, I still haven't forgotten over 20 years later, and I still remember this illustration, that he would get a couple guys and he'd be like, let me show you what the enemy does. And he would, he would stand on the outside. He would have one of us stand on the inside and there would be the circle of guys around them holding hands. So it's like this Barry. He said, when you're in the center of God's will, it's all good, it's all great. You're protected and safe. He said, but what the enemy wants to do, and he started playing patty cake with that person that was in the center. And he would just back up slowly, and he would say, stay with me. And before you know it, you'd bump up against that edge, and then it would break through their hands. 
And he said, what the enemy wants to do is draw you away. He wants to draw you away so he can isolate you and hold you down from what God has called you to do. To isolate you, to hold you down from what he's called you to do. What, where are you falling from today? 2020, I believe, has been a great falling away. And this is not condemnation. Listen to me. This is just the reality of where we're at as a nation and as a church. There is a great falling away that has happened, and I believe that the church will be tested more in days and years to come. That those, not who want to come to church, but listen to me, those who want to be the church will rise up, and those who don't will fall away. And there is a great sifting and testing that is taking place. The great falling away. And 2020 has done that. The enemy has lured people out, hasn't he? And he's, he's going, hey, come by this fire. It's a good fire. It's warm. And we're warming ourselves by this fire, the enemy's fire of social media, of political polarization, of TV, any distraction that you can begin to think of that pulls your attention away from Jesus, that pulls you away from spiritual family, from true community. And listen to me. I love my phone as much as possible. I'm just like y'all. I'm like, oh my, if I don't have my phone, I'm like, where's my life? I don't have my life, you know? And we begin to break down. But your phone is not a community of true believers. It can be a tool for it. Nothing wrong with that. But when we begin to substitute what God has for us, we begin to lose God altogether. Look, I'm not looking to pack out this place. I'm just looking for the people that want real spiritual family and that really want to come together and get filled up in here, listen to me, so we can go out out there and be light and salt in this dark world. Because I believe that's what God has called us to do. But listen to me, the sheep are scattered right now and they're warming themselves by another fire that's not as good around people who aren't healthy for them. And that is the problem today. And we are called, when, the, when Jesus the shepherd was struck, the sheep scattered. And we see Peter doing that very same thing, that he literally goes from going, I'll never leave you, to, hey, guys, how's it going? You, you, oh, you took Jesus away? That's okay. I don't really know him anyway. So all of a sudden, that fire that was so foreign that you go, I'll never be in that. You find yourself over there warming yourself by that fire. Now, your question may be, Pastor Chris, well, what do you, what do you want me to do? Well, I'm going to give you something that Pastor Jacob always asks. I don't think that's the right question. I'll ask the question this. What does the enemy want you to do? You may not always know what God wants you to do, but you, you always know what the enemy wants you to do. Just do the opposite. <laughs> if you know what the enemy wants you to do, well, then do the opposite. If the enemy wants you to stay home and be alone, do the opposite. If the enemy wants you just to sit on TV and Facebook forever, then do the opposite. If the enemy doesn't want you to pray or read your Bible or spend time with your kids and your wife, then just do the opposite. We don't always have to figure out God if we know the enemy, y'all. And so that's big for us because Peter, in his denial, was found himself warming himself around a fire that he never wanted to be around people he never wanted to be around because denial places us around a fire we never saw coming. The third thing is this. 
Not only was there distance, not only there was a falling, but number three, he fell to his greatest fear. Stay with me on this one. Peter fell to his greatest fear. If Judas betrayed out of greed, listen to me, Peter denied out of fear. Peter didn't say that he didn't walk on water or help feed the 5,000. It wasn't based on Jesus' miracles. It was fear and fear alone that Peter began to deny. And Jesus, listen to me, Jesus knew Peter's greatest fear. He knew Peter's greatest fear because Jesus spoke to it. Listen to me. He spoke to it when he called Peter for the first time. If you remember the story, if you've read your Bible before, if you've been in church for a while, you might be familiar with the story of when Jesus called Peter. He said he walked up and he used his boat to preach and then he said, push out into the water. And so the story goes that he pushes out into the water and he goes, hey, fish right around here. And he goes, Jesus, we've been fishing all night. He goes, just do it. He goes, okay. So he casts his net over. They pull in fish. It began, the net began to break. And Peter goes, woe is me, God, Lord. I'm, not, I'm a sinful man. And here's how Jesus answered him. Listen, listen to this in Luke chapter five. Jesus answered, do not yield to your fear, Peter. Do not yield to your fear, Simon Peter. From now on, you will catch men for salvation. Notice that Jesus didn't say you would not fear. He just said, don't give in to it. He didn't say that you're never gonna have fear if you become a Christian. He's just saying, you don't have to give in to it. Don't yield to it. Can I, I'm gonna be honest with you guys this morning. I wanna get real with you because these four steps right here are the scariest steps in the world. Some of y'all going like, oh, you get up there and it's like, oh, it's just natural for you. I'm like, no, I'm terrified when I'm down there. <laughs> I'm terrified to carry the word of God. It's, it's scary, it's weighty, but listen to me. I have a choice in that moment to walk up those stairs or I, have, I can yield to fear and give in to it. But here's what I've decided. I will not give in to fear because I know what God has called me to. He hasn't called me to be the wisest person. He hasn't called me to be the smartest person. He's just called me to be the most faithful person possible. He doesn't want your talents or your resources. Listen to me. He doesn't want your giftings. He wants to use you and all your brokenness and your insecurities, your incapacities. He wants to use you. He wants to use us. And Peter, listen to me. Peter's greatest fear was this. Listen, that he would end up like Jesus. You see, there's this storyline that goes in Mark chapter eight where Peter gets this revelation. Jesus asks a question. He said, hey, who do the people say that I am? And they kind of answered. And then Jesus asked another question. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter with the big mouth, he begins to answer. And here's what he says. He says, you are the Messiah, the Christ. You are everything. And he said, you're right, Peter. And Peter's just beaming right now going, yeah, I am. And then Jesus begins to talk about how he's going to be crucified. And then Peter steps up. If you remember this, he steps up and go, Jesus, hey, no, 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 no. You're not going to die. You're not going to be crucified. I would never let that happen. And then Jesus says words I'll, I'll never want to hear from Jesus. He called him Satan. He said, Satan, <laughs> get behind me. I would have cowered right then and there. Go, oh, I'm nothing. Yeah. He said, get behind me. Why did, why did Jesus do that? Because he knew, listen to me, Peter knew 
that if Jesus said he was going to die and he was following Jesus, what did that mean for Peter? He was going to die. His greatest fear is that he would end up like Jesus. And he didn't want it to be dying. He wanted it to be the Messiah. That's why Jesus spoke to him and he says this. This is so good. In Mark chapter eight, he follows up that Satan comment with this. Then calling to the crowd to join his disciples, he said, remember, this is right after. Jesus said to them this, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. I believe he's looking at Peter like this going, do you hear that? (laughs) You have to give up your own way. You have to take up your cross. They're going, really? Peter's going, I don't want to do with the cross thing. And follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me, he's looking at Peter right now, ashamed of me, maybe deny me and my message in this adulterous and sinful days, the son of man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Peter was resisting Jesus's life because it cost him too much. And what ends up happening is we go, I want the glory of God without the cost of following. Jesus, I want to be exalted, but I don't want the cross. God, I, 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 I want to crucify my flesh, but I don't want it to hurt. And Jesus is going, it hurt me. It hurt me. Peter gave in and fell to his greatest fear when he denied He was terrified. The fear took him from a courageous, sword-swinging disciple to a comfortable fisherman. (laughs) And that's where he ended up, fishing. What I love about God is when we think the story is over, the story's not really over. Isn't that what Easter is really all about? (laughs) Friday, Good Friday, they thought it was over. And then Sunday came. (laughs) And it gives us hope. And this is what number four is. It didn't end for Peter. Because number four says this, failure, falling, and fear are never final. Listen to me. Failure, falling, and fear are never final. Some of you came in this morning. Some of you were watching online. You just needed to hear that. Is never final. Peter went back to what was comfortable. In John 21, we find him doing what he did before, fishing. There's a tendency that when we fear, that when we fall, listen to me, what do we end up doing? We end up going back to what was before because we think God could never use me after what I've done, after the way I've denied him, after the way I've treated this person and this person, here's what we think. God would never love or want to use someone like me. Peter thought that way. He went back fishing. In John chapter 21, we see that literally after the the death of of Jesus, the resurrection comes and, and Peter is found fishing. You know what I love about how God creates his story? This is so unique, is that the first time that Jesus found Peter, he was doing what? Fishing. In John chapter 21, 
when he redeems Peter from that denial, what was he doing? Fishing. Listen to me, you might've forgot where you first accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but he hasn't. You might've forgotten your first love growing up in the church, but listen to me, Jesus hasn't forgotten. And Jesus never forgot about Peter. Matter of fact, the story almost played out exactly the same. It said the disciples tried to fish and Peter was trying to fish all night, didn't catch anything. And then Jesus came to the shore, they didn't recognize him. And they're going, who's this guy? And Peter goes, hey, y'all, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And they're going, what? But we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. Do it. You throw it on the other side. And the same thing happens where there is this amazing harvest of fish. And it said in both instances, the first and the last, that the nets began to break. But something changed. Because something came back to Peter. Though he had denied, it wasn't final. Though he had ran from Jesus, though he had fallen so far down, God wasn't going to leave him. That listen to this. That he recognized it was Jesus. In John chapter 21, it says this, verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water after Jesus. If, if I'm Peter and he says, it is the Lord, I'm going below deck if there is a below deck. But what did Peter do? Peter said, if that's Jesus, I'm running after him this time. I'm not going to deny him. I am not going to make the same mistake. Because listen to me, Judas and Peter, there's a lot of similarities. Both of them betrayed and denied Jesus. They disappointed Jesus. Both of them were chosen disciples. Both of them saw miracles performed. Both of them were there feeding the 5,000. Both of them saw Jesus heal the sick and the lame and heal the blind. They saw all the same things. And we learned last week that Judas, literally, he felt so bad that he went and hung himself. But you see, the difference, the biggest difference between Peter and Judas was where they turned after they realized they had done it. Judas turned to himself. Peter, he said, if that's Jesus, I'm not denying him anymore. I'll swim to him. I don't care how far it is. And he dove all in. It's the question to us, listening. We all will fall, deny, and betray Jesus. It might not look like Judas or Peter, but look at me. We will all do that, pastor included. The question isn't if we do it, it's when we do it. But the real question is, how will you respond afterwards? Are you going to go and be alone like Judas did, or are you going to dive in and go, God, your redemption and your grace says that you're going to cover me, and I know you will. That morning, Peter had breakfast with Jesus. He broke bread with them, had some fish with them. 
And Jesus redeemed that which he thought he lost. Peter. We know the story of Peter goes on because Jesus used Peter. And the same person that denied Jesus to three people is the same one that saves 3,000 souls in Acts chapter 2. Imagine that. The same one that denied Jesus to three people three times is the same one that gets on a box and begins going, repent and believe. Why didn't someone go, he's a hypocrite. Do you know what he was doing a few days ago, this crazy? He said, I've been redeemed and restored by the blood of the lamb. And I know I'm not walking in my old self. I'm walking in my new self. And God has called me to something bigger and greater. Listen to me. I believe there's a new rising of the church coming. That as the sheep go scattered, he wants to rise up some giftings in this house and in the church that will begin to permeate the soil of our culture and begin to be light and salt in this dark world. But we have to choose how we respond. We can run away in fear and we can go, ah. We can warm ourselves by the wrong fire. We can follow at a distance. Or we can see that fear, failure is never final. But that he wants to redeem me and restore me. Not because I'm good enough, but because he's a good God. This morning... I know there are people here who have denied Jesus more than three times. You're going, you don't know my story. You're right, I don't, but I don't need to know your story. I know Peter's story. And if Jesus forgave Peter, guess what? I know he's forgiven you. All we have to do is respond. So I'm going to pray for you this morning. I'm going to pray that the enemy will be broken in the name of Jesus because he's not going to have a hold on your shame and your fear anymore. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. Thank you that you've called us together to be a spiritual family, not a perfect family, a dysfunctional, broken family that has a perfect father. So this morning, God, I pray for all those that have come into this room, that are watching online, listening on podcasts, that feel that weight, that conviction. When they see Peter, they see themselves. That, God, I pray they finish the story. Don't let them stop, God, when the, at the denial Let them finish all the way to the end of the story. In John chapter 21, where you redeemed Peter, that goes into Acts, where where he began to start the greatest movement of Christian faith in world history. You used Peter, God. Thank you that we don't have to be good enough to come to you, God. We just have to be honest. This morning, God, we surrender all our fear, all our failure, all are falling away to you, God. We surrender it all at the foot of the cross knowing that you've covered it. We thank you and we bind the enemy in the name of Jesus. No darkness or depression, anxiety will be broken, God. In the name of Jesus, all the fear and shame will be gone as we turn to you, God. I thank you this morning that you're a good father and that you're doing great things with us, through us, in us. This morning, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, for some of you, 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 you just need to start by coming back to Jesus. And coming to Jesus, committing your life to him, 
It's called being born again. John chapter three, verse three is very clear. When Jesus said, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. It doesn't take a magical tool or a magical prayer. It's nothing that you do. It's a response that we have to surrender all. And when we surrender everything, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and begins to transform us from the inside out. All we have to do is receive. And this morning, I want to offer that to you. It's your first step, the step to be born again. It's as simple as A, B, C, A, we admit that we are sinners in need of a Savior. B, believe that what he did for us on the cross was enough to cover our past, present, and future sins. And C, we confess him as Lord and as Savior of our lives. We are not interested in getting to heaven. We are interested in having heaven here on earth. This isn't punching a ticket. It's being born into a spiritual family. Some of you have been in church your whole life and you haven't been born again. This is the moment that you decide, I want to be born again. The Holy Spirit is prompting me. And in just a second, I'm going to pray a prayer. It's not a magical prayer. It's just an agreement. Because by your faith, the word says, by your faith, by your faith you are saved, that you are born again. And that hand raising that you're going to do is just a manifestation, expression of that faith to say, I want to be born again. I'm diving all in for Jesus. And I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want you to care who's around you or what they might say. This is not about them. This is about you and God. And if you're here this morning, I'm going, Pastor Chris, include me in that born again prayer. On the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up, wave it at me, and you can put it back down. One, he's called you here for a reason. It's not a mistake that you're in this room this morning. Two, he has a greater purpose for your life than you could even ask or imagine. Three, I want you to raise your hand now. If that's you this morning, thank you, I see you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, awesome, 19. You can put your hands down. If you raised it once, you don't ever have to raise it again. But if that's you here this morning, if you wanna join those, the last 10 seconds, join those 18, I want you to raise your hand now, if that's you. Anyone else? Awesome. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. Awesome. Well, church, with all those that raised their hand this morning to be born again, we're going to repeat this prayer after me all together as a spiritual family. Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go and rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Say this with me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Come on.